0: Ethics in Scientific Research. When you know better, you do better. You're listening to Psychologically Speaking, a podcast for anyone interested in understanding how psychology applies to everyday life. Welcome, I'm your host, Dawn Brinkley. And whether you're a student, an educator, or a lifelong learner, I think you'll find this podcast to be educational as well as entertaining. I'm so excited you're hanging out with me today. Hello, 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 everyone welcome again to psychologically speaking last week was my birthday and I am just feeling so much gratitude wanting to thank everyone who sent um, celebratory wishes and birthday happy birthday wishes I really appreciate all the love I received today I am coming to you once again from my corner office the corner of my couch that is just enjoying the feeling of the sun on my face as I start my work day. I'm going to be finishing up my talk on doing science, as I like to call it, and I'm going to finish up with ethics and how psychology manages ethics in conducting research. Before we dive into that though, I have to start with, as a psychologist and psychology enthusiast, it's my job to dispel some of the myths people often have about psychology. As a true psychology nerd, I'm defending my favorite subject matter against all false claims. Today's psychology, myth, or science topic... Psychologists can involve you in a study without your knowledge or even trick you into taking part in a study. If you listened to the last episode, you recognize that this is the same topic, which is fine because it is fitting for today's episode. But if you didn't listen last week, you'll have to stick around to find out a little bit more about this topic now let's dive into this week's episode suppose you're interested in taking a psychology course and you find out that you'll have to participate in a research study if you enroll so you're required to participate in this study or experiment as part of your enrollment conditions or what might happen if you were to volunteer to participate in a psychology experiment are you have you ever participated in one are you aware of What types of things happen? Are psychologists allowed to manipulate and trick people into participating? Are colleges permitted to require students to advance the field of psychology by making them a readily available subject pool of study participants? What do you think? These are maybe some compelling questions. Maybe not. I don't know. In this episode, I'm going to wrap up our discussion on doing science by talking about ethics in psychological research. The answer to these questions, of course, is no. So I've given you the answer before we even get to the end of the episode. But please stick around because there is an interesting study I touched on last week about how this was, eh, never mind, I'll, I'll leave it. Just just stick around. Psychological research conducted in the U.S. is subject to ethical guidelines developed by the American Psychological Association or APA. The APA requires that researchers follow a strict code of ethics when conducting human and animal research. The code can be found in a document called Ethical Principles of Psychologists and Code of Conduct. If you're a psychology nerd like me and you're really interested in, in these types of things, you can download a copy by visiting APA.org ethics. Basically, psychologists must respect the dignity and welfare of all study participants. They cannot use deception to expose participants to potentially harmful or dangerous conditions that might cause physical or emotional harm. I am going to say this again because when I get to the end of the episode to talk about this questionable study, I want you to think about this. Again, psychologists cannot use deception to expose participants to potentially dangerous or harmful conditions that might cause physical or even emotional harm. Research conducted at educational institutions, at colleges and universities, is often governed by what's called an IRB, an Institutional Review Board. Each institution has its requirements, but they generally follow the same overall guidelines. And the purpose of these review boards are to review details of any proposed research to verify whether the project should be approved, if it's safe for participants to enroll and participate in these studies. Each IRB has at least one member who is not affiliated with the university, and this addresses conflicts of interest. So it's not, it's in the best interest of the participants that the research is evaluated from the perspective of an outsider that has no tie-in or buy-in as they relate to the university. The APA lists five key ethical principles in regulating research with human participants. Let's briefly touch on each of those. Number one, informed consent and voluntary participation. This principle simply states that when researchers are conducting research, they have to get informed consent, they have to inform participants of things such as the purpose of the research, expected duration of the research, the procedures involved. Participants also must be told that they have a right to decline or refuse participation at any point. Number two, Students as research participants, when research participation is a course requirement or an opportunity for extra credit, the university has to also offer students some alternative. They can't fix it so that participating in the research is the only way that participants, students can receive credit. So they have to be given a choice. This way you are not forcing students who want to take these courses, but are apprehensive about participating in any type of scientific research. Also, these students are given the same rights as voluntary participants from outside of the university, the same informed consent and voluntary participation rights. Number three, the use of deception. Psychologists are allowed to use deception as part of the study under two conditions. First, when it's not feasible to use a method other than deception. Second, when the potential findings warrant the use of deception because of their scientific, educational, or applied value. In case you're wondering about this, I was an RA on a study where the true reason or true purpose of our study was to examine mean behavior in children. We could not, of course, tell participants this is what we wanted to study or what we were studying or interested in because we it might affect the way they behaved, the way they answered questions. We told participants that we were studying friendships, friendships in childhood so that we could get as true data or as clear. I won't even necessarily say clean, but that we could get, it would not affect what we were trying to study. It would not affect the outcome of our study. So if you are going to use deception, as long as it is for the sake of science to preserve the integrity of your study, then it's warranted. Number four is confidentiality of information. Scientists cannot disclose personally identifiable information about participants. This simply means that, for example, we, you have your informed consents, but then you also have any data that you collect on your participants. Your data should be identified in such a way that it does not connect back to your informed consents. Your, the informed consents are kept locked separate from your Information that you collect, so the t- assessments that you do, the questions, questionnaires that you ask, all of that information is kept separate from your personally identifiable information of your participants. And number five, debriefing and information about the study. In case you're concerned whether These participants are manipulated and nothing is ever done about it. That is not the case. All study participants must be given the opportunity to obtain information about the study, things like the purpose, the results, and the findings. Psychologists should also debrief participants and correct any misconceptions participants may have had about the research. The way one of the ways that this is done is via newsletters. You send out newsletters throughout the study informing participants what you found so far. You don't clue them in as to what the real reason of the study was until you're done because the idea of course is to preserve the integrity of your the data you're collecting. But once you're done it's when you publish your Research papers at the end, you publish throughout, but at the end, you can lift the veil, so to speak. You can pop the hood and let them see what's inside. So these are five key principles in regulating research with human participants. Informed consent, number one. Number two, students as research participants. Number three, the use of deception. Number four, confidentiality of information, and number five, debriefing and in information about the study. What about research involving animals? Only a small portion of psychological studies that are conducted within a given year is conducted on animals. However, they are research conducted in this area is also governed by a set of ethics set forth by APA, And typically, animal research is done as a form of comparative study. In fact, it's called comparative psychology, if you're interested in that. And then psychologists also study animal subjects for research that couldn't be feasibly conducted on human subjects. So research that might take a really long time to study in humans or you're interested in doing an experiment that would not be um, safe to ethically conduct in humans, but the code of ethics, like animals are protected as well. But there's a difference. I I won't go into that, but just know that animals are protected if you're concerned. In short, the ethics of science calls for the respect for people, animals, and the truth with that just keep in mind if you're leery of scientific study if you're concerned participants cannot be forced to participate for any reason participants must be given an overview of the study and sign informed consent indicating that they agreed to participate they have to be given the opportunity to withdraw at any time and cannot be coerced into participating Participants cannot be deceived about any aspect of the study that would cause them harm, and they must be debriefed as to the nature and purpose of the study, especially in cases where there was some type of manipulation. I want to wrap up this episode by talking about some studies that were famous in the scientific history for their questionable ethics study number one is the tuskegee syphilis experiment a study conducted by the u.s public health service at tuskegee university in which approximately well about 600 african-american males were enrolled in the study originally the study was intended to observe the nat- natural history of untreated syphilis. It was conducted between 1932 and 1972. This study sticks out as a horrible violation of ethics in several ways. I'll just talk about a few of those. The researchers did not obtain informed consent from the participants. They withheld treatment for syphilis even after it was available. The participants were deceived throughout about the purpose of the study. The thing about the deception in this study was that participants, when tested positive for syphilis, they were not told that they had this horrible disease. They were told that it was a study of bad blood There's also a question of coercion in this study because the males that were in the study were given free medical care, free burial insurance, they were offered free meals. This was a study that was conducted over the course of 40 years and even after there was a cure for syphilis. These participants were not provided, not only were they not provided with the cure, the study was still going on long after it was no longer necessary. Study number two is the study of Little Albert. Those of you that are familiar with psychology, have taken a psychology course or two, John Watson and his graduate student, Rosalie Rayner, demonstrated that classical conditioning was possible in humans by conditioning fear in nine-month-old Little Albert. This study is critiqued from an ethical standpoint for a few reasons as well. One of those reasons were was that Watson and Rayner were very subjective in their interpretations of Little Albert's reactions. The study is also critiqued because it was thought that maybe it was known I'm sorry I can't remember right now that Watson and his student Rainer were in were in a romantic relationship not only then did you have the power structure there Rainer was he was her boss and so she was subject to follow his authority and then also you might have had the entanglement there as well this study is also critiqued because little albert left the study with a fear he did not have before participating keep that in mind as i come back to our psychology myth or science topic for today study number three is another case that i'm sure you're very familiar with if you're not You might want to read the book. Oprah Winfrey also did a movie on this case. It's the story of Henrietta Lacks. Henrietta Lacks unknowingly donated her cells to John Hopkins University. Her cells are the source of the first immortalized human cell that is able to reproduce indefinitely. Her cells were amazing in that typically when the cells these types of cells are analyzed they die shortly after they don't have a long shelf life so to speak rather than dying though henrietta's cells reproduced within 20 to 24 hours and that was an amazing amazing finding and so her family was unaware that her cells were continuing to be used in research around the world long after her death. In this case, then, you might wonder, this is not an actual person that we're dealing with because Henrietta has since died. It's her cells that are still continuing to contribute to science. And that was the, there's a debate, that that was the debate around this case john hopkins university has since apologized to her family if you go to their website they haven't a written they have a written apology there and so they were very apologetic for their actions but again this is this is another um case that was mentioned as having questionable ethics and number four another pretty famous study is the stanford prison experiment i believe i'm going to do an episode about this experiment in particular comparing it specifically to milgram's experiment milgram's experiment was questionable in ethics as well but we'd have to go in specific detail of both the stories to compare how studies not stories to compare how they were similar, how they were different, what they were studying. But the Stanford Prison Experiment, Zimbardo, became very famous from this experiment. It was a study of the study where he had the Stanford students have um, some of them were guards, some of them were prisoners, and they simulated the prison And there were some interesting outcomes from that study as well. I won't go into detail. You can read about it if you want. But I will plan a future episode for this particular experiment and its questionable ethics. That brings us to today's psychology, myth, or science topic. Again, this topic is recycled from the last episode. Psychologists can trick you into taking part in a study. We know now that this is a myth because the APA has a strict code of ethics for conducting research that must be followed by scientists. Participants under the age of 18 give assent and get permission from their parents. So we know that there is informed consent and voluntary participation in case you thought You heard me saying involuntary, it's and voluntary. So participants must participate voluntarily. If they're over the age of 18, they can do this. If they're under the age of 18, they give verbal assent and they can get permission from their parents. However, this brings me back again to the Facebook study that was done in 2012 where researchers manipulated mood, so they manipulated things that were showing up on people's feeds, Facebook feeds, timelines, to whether they saw something positive or something negative, and then they went, looked to see what their posts were like after being exposed to these mood enhan- to this mood enhancing content. The researchers. Defended the experiment by arguing that they had a right to investigate what type of effect Facebook has on its users and its emotional well-being. Once again, I am interested in your thoughts. Now that I've talked about ethics and the thing, the key elements of doing or conducting ethical research, what do you think about this? Were the scientists warranted in exposing over 700,000 Facebook users to this mood-changing information and not following up, so to speak. Consider this. Ethics is knowing the difference between what you have the right to do and what is right to do. American Lawyer and Judge Potter Stewart That concludes this episode of Psychologically Speaking. Be sure to visit my blog at drbmindful.com for useful self-help tips and highlights of the podcast episodes. Invite a friend to listen. I welcome your suggestions and feedback at dawnbeam at drbmindful.com or you can post them using the contact me link on the blog. As always, Thanks for hanging out with me today.